Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. God of creation, there at the start before the beginning of time. In this episode, Pastor Andrew looks at the godly things we might steal and how original sin impacts our life. Stealing is not okay. I love it when I get some readings that allow me to just have a bit of a go at advertising on TV. And there's some terrible ads. You think I'm going to want to buy your product by the way you've actually just presented it? You've done some stuff that made me feel a cringe inside, so chances of you getting me to buy that's zero. But not all of them are like that when they do something that I think is critically wrong. Don't know if you're into honey chicken, but a recent ad by one of the providers of honey chicken have this scene where this gentleman has bought his pack of this beautiful chicken and he's watching some sort of game, so he puts it down on the seat beside him and turns to look And while he's doing that, a skateboard rider picks up his chicken and takes it off. And the final scene is the skateboard rider just enjoying this chicken that he just stole. I don't think that's a good message. Jeremiah says, Woe the days when good is called evil and evil is called good. And that's our day. And this is an example of such a thing that we get through advertising, let alone the things that we do. So what do we steal? Well, obviously we steal honey chicken. We steal at a whole range of levels and sometimes we don't recognise that is actually what we're doing. And it can be as simply as this. I play euchre at a couple of places. You know how there's always someone who rubs people up the wrong way. We had a gentleman who does that, and he was my partner on one of the games. And we lost. So he's getting up to make the movement, and the winners are getting up. And this winner made a very demeaning comment to him. Really caustic. And this guy in the past, he could get really angry and it's caused him some trouble. And you could see his back rising and he looked at me and he says, I'm mad, but I probably shouldn't say anything, should I? And I said, well, Jesus says not to revile when we are reviled. And he was reviled. There was no reason for the comment to have been thrown at him. And he sat down and he says, but it's hard. And I said, yeah, that's the trick, isn't it? It's not reviling when it's hard. So a couple of games later, he wasn't my partner this time. We're coming to the last two plays and I put a card down and then the next one came. Then that hand was finished and then I realised I reneged. Now, at that point they had won one point. 
But I said, well, guys, I think I reneged, and that gave them four points, which wasn't good news for us. But you know what this man said? Thank you for being honest. I could have stole the points. And who would have known? But I would have lost a witness. And you see, this gentleman has been having conversations and comments about the church and about God. And I just reinforced for him that it's good to do it right. And who knows what the results might be. One of the processes that began to get me conscious of God was when I was at my uncle's home, who was an Anglican priest, and I was going down the hallway. I must have tripped, and I swore with Jesus' name. And I stopped, and I thought, oh, you shouldn't do that in a place like this. It was the first awareness that I ever had that I was stealing somebody's name, and his name is Jesus. How often have we hit our thumb with a hammer or something and we blurt out a name and sometimes that name has been God or Jesus. Now, some of you may never have done that and God bless you. So when someone in your midst swears using the name of Jesus, they've just stole his name and used it for a profanity. And he's not one who is profane. Isn't that the issue? Isn't that why Paul in Romans says, we now can have life back because of the righteous one. Adam brought death through sin. Jesus brings life because of his righteousness. So to profane his name is to steal the very essence of who he is. And then it gets worse. So we have in the Genesis story, and I love the Genesis story, and I've added a few verses that got knocked out. And what they want to emphasize is the command. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you do that, you will die. That's really clear. Now, just think about this for a moment. That's the only thing that Adam couldn't touch. He has trees, flowers, cows, dogs, animals, fishes, birds, everything under the sun, multitude. So Adam has all this. And they called it the Garden of Eden because it was the luscious of what. God had created. God had created a whole planet. But somehow, rather than the Garden of Eden, it was the epitome of all those things. And they were his. It was his to command. It was his to look after. It was his to grow. It was his to develop. All of it. Now, I want to suggest there were two trees that didn't belong to him. One that he was commanded not to eat. And the tree of life was on loan. Remember that when you hit chapter 4, 
Adam and Eve are excluded from the garden and angels with flaming swords stand at the entrance so they can't get back lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. Tree of life is on loan as long as we keep faithfulness to God. God's a wise God. The Adam alone just wasn't good news. And in a sense, because Adam was an incredibly different creature to everything else on the planet. He was made from the dust of the earth. And then God breathed his breath into his nostrils. And he became a living soul, unique. Adam was like no angels, nothing like the animals. He was a unique being in the creation, and he's by himself. God puts him to sleep, takes out a rib, and makes Eve. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, as Adam called her. And you know, she is not his servant. Never intended by God to be his servant. Now, some people take it that she is. That she's there for him. And one of the things about Genesis 1 is it makes it really clear that the man and the woman are equal through and through. They are equally called to look after the creation, not one above the other. And in Genesis 2, she's called a helpmate, not a helper. Companion of equal standing, So the togetherness is at the heart of things here. And they had no shame between one another. This is a really critical statement. So then comes the serpent. And traditionally we believe the serpent's the devil. He says, you know, did God really say? Did God really say? So when the devil comes to you and whispers in your ear, that's what he's going to say. Did God really mean that? Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so Eve responds. Uh, And by the way, God did not command the woman. The only command that's given by God is to Adam. So who instructs the woman? Who instructs Eve? Adam does. And being a man, he just wants to make sure she gets it really clear. So imagine you're Adam and the garden's full of all this luscious trees and fruit and stuff and you're not supposed to eat of that particular tree. So you want to make sure that you steer clear of it. So you start building fences around it. And that's what he taught Eve. So when she says this, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, 
and you must not touch it or you will die. So imagine Adam and his instructions, I better get this really clear that we're not supposed to eat this tree. I'll tell her, and don't ever touch it lest you die. Well, that wasn't actually the command, was it? It was don't eat of it. Didn't matter if you sort of brushed up against it or tripped and fell into it. Didn't matter if you knocked all the fruit off the tree. Didn't matter whatsoever. The only thing that mattered is do not eat it. Hitting the tree, knocking the tree, touching the fruit is not going to kill you. But eating it is. And you know, that's the struggle we have. Keeping the word of God. Keeping the commands of God. And we build fences around it to make sure we don't get tripped on it. You know, it's easy to get tripped on it. And all of a sudden, the word of God becomes something more than what God said and what God commanded. And then she ate it. It looked good. See, that's the trouble. If God had made the fruit really ugly, really smelly, then who would eat the thing? And that's the problem with sin. And when the devil starts to use sin against us, he makes sin look like it's really good rather than the fact that it's really evil. And Jeremiah's right. Woe is a day when good is called evil and evil is called good. Because we can't work it out. We can't discern when we're getting it right or wrong. Even the fences we build around the things we shouldn't do to make sure we don't get anywhere near it, they're all gone. And we're not even aware that the fruit itself is a problem. That the thing that we're being tempted to do is quite evil and quite wrong. And here's the end result of this. And the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What's that saying? They now were ashamed of each other. The sweetness of their relationship was gone. Trust in their relationship was gone. The faith in their relationship was gone. The innocence of their relationship was gone. And they died. They died in their relationship to God whom they now hid from. They died in their relationship with each other. The curse on the woman that she would bear children in pain. Before the fruit was eaten, there was not going to be any pain in childbirth. And this is the harshest for her. That her heart will be for her husband. And he will rule her. 
not love her, not cherish her, not respect her, not uphold her, not consider her equal, but he would rule. You know, that's true. We see it across the board. Even in our day, we see it across the board. And for him, where his work was to be a joy, a fulfillment, a sense of honour would become hard and great toil and difficult just because they ate a bit of fruit. And then the final level of death is we die. We go back to the dust. So what does Paul say to us? He lays this at the feet of Adam, not Eve. It is Adam who brought sin into the world. It's Adam who disobeyed the command. And inadvertently, we all die because we all sin. We might not do the type of sin as Adam, and Paul even allows that you might not do a sin that's against a command, but we all sin. And sin brings death. And then the powerhouse of this is that in Jesus Christ the righteous we give an eternal life. Death is reversed. And you see, this is the thing. It's not just, hey, we get to go to heaven after all. And we don't burn in hell. Whether there's a hell, my gut feeling is there is, but how do you prove this? You need someone to come back from the dead. Well, the guy did come back from the dead, and he told us about this. So we don't believe him. And isn't that what Jesus said in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man? That even if someone was to rise from the dead, they would not believe. So in a sense, it's a quadmire. And we believe the word of God because the word of God gives the hope of eternity for us. Incredible hope of eternity. But here's the thing. Jesus' death and resurrection for us, by taking our sins upon himself, by taking our punishment upon himself, on the cross, that we might be a forgiven person and that the punishment for all that we've done is eradicated actually impacts our whole life. So you know that in Jesus, a couple in a faithful marriage can have no shame of one another. The trust can be restored. That faith in one another can be restored. The expectation of one another. Because that's what Jesus enables. He also enables a restoration of our relationship with God. As we've noted in Hebrews 10, that we can come into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus without any shame without any sense of condemnation. And we can stand there in God's presence 
and feel welcomed and accepted and loved and just overwhelmed by the glory of his presence because of Jesus, the righteous one. And then Jesus promises the eternity in heaven after we die. So death and the curse from breaching this commandment from Adam onwards is reversed in Jesus and gives us a hope that we would never have had. Now one of the things, as I reflected on this, we can actually steal from the people closest to us. Not stealing their money, but not giving them the honour and the respect that they deserve and should have. Of not caring enough for them, of not going the second mile for them, demeaning them in word and attitude. In so many ways, the people who are most precious to us often cop the worst from us. It's because of sin at its conception that began with the eating of the fruit that brings shame into our life and our relationships that can only be reversed when we truly allow Jesus into the center of our hearts to transform us inside out. And that's exactly what he did. When we let him into the center of our hearts, shame begins to dissipate. And our relationships take on a flavor that we would never have expected them to take because of Jesus at the heart of it. Let's pray. Father God, you know that we inadvertently steal, let alone purposely steal. Transform our hearts, God through the precious blood of your Jesus. Not only will we honour his beautiful name, but we will honour those around us and even the enemy at the gate. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.